Welcome to the Instant Relevance Podcast. The Instant Relevance Podcast is an education podcast featuring the latest news and resources to make learning relevant for all students. Hosted by me, Dennis Sheeran, and Raymond Steinmetz. Follow us on Twitter at InstantRel. I am Dennis Sheeran, the author of Instant Relevance, Using Today's Experiences to Teach Tomorrow's Lessons, which was a book published by Dave Burgess Consulting in 2016. And I am excited to share our thoughts and ideas about what makes learning relevant with you and with our community. And I'm Raymond Steinmetz. I run a blog called blendedlearningmath.com. I can be found on Twitter at blended underscore math. I am a guest blogger at Education Post, as well as a regular columnist at eSchool News. I write regularly about the integration of education and technology, specifically blended learning. And you can find me as well on Twitter at MathDennisNJ or on my website, DennisSheeran.com. So each one of our episodes, we like to start off with an opportunity to share an idea with each other, something we may or may have seen, some idea that we heard about education, somebody who was sharing something that really stuck to us, or a picture or an object or something that we thought, that's a really great way to engage my kids. On my website, I call those a make it real moment. Sometimes uh, I have the make it real Twitter chat on Wednesday nights. And sometimes we just like to sit down with each other and talk about what's going on in education because There's change, there's something new, there's something that matters, and that's what's relevant to us as teachers as well as relevant to us as our students. So I hear Ray's got something for me today, and I'd love to hear what you're uh, ready to throw out for me. Yeah, thanks, Dennis. So this week, I've really been focused on the idea that we talked about when we sat down and we asked ourselves, what are we going to do with this podcast? And one of the things that we talked about was, you know, teaching has really changed over the last few years. And, you know, I've been in education for about a decade. You've been in education for a little bit longer than that. But in that amount of time, teaching has completely changed. It's no longer, you know, up in front of the room delivering the lessons. And as you spoke about before and with your book, you know, we're talking about making learning as relevant as possible. The one thing that I want to share with you and the listeners, uh, you know, we're going to make sure every week that we do this if we have uh, an article or some sort of uh, video to share with you guys we're gonna you know put that on our twitter feed and hopefully on the website as well so that people know what we're talking about and can reference that later on after they listen but the one thing that i wanted to talk about today was this really great keynote speech from a guy named todd rose todd rose is a faculty member at harvard's graduate school of education and the co-founder of uh, a company called populous and in his keynote speech and Subsequently, he does have a nice conversation with uh, Jeb Bush afterwards. Just happens to be, (laughs) for some reason, Jeb Bush was at this Excellence in Education Summit. The real kind of driving force behind the speech is everybody learns differently. Brain science has shown that every single one of us is different. So kind of bringing it back to that instant relevance idea is the way that we're teaching now with kind of the the traditional model of being up in front of the class and you know regurgitating the same curriculum over and over again is is no longer not only relevant for our students but it's also not appropriate now that we know that every student learns differently so you know one thing that's the one thing i did want to share uh with you was that keynote speech which if if you have a chance to check it out you should definitely check it out wow so 
Yeah, Todd Rose is definitely hitting the nail right on the head from these angles that I'm hearing from all over. I'm hearing it from teachers. I'm hearing it from college professors. I hear these things from students who come up and say, this is not interesting. This is not even how I learn. Uh, it's amazing that it's now coming to the forefront from a Harvard professor who can say, this is not how kids learn. Why are you still teaching them the same way? From the simplicity of teaching a math concept to kids forward to the end, but another kid really learns from the end working backwards and we force this kid to write things forwards and learn forward. Why are we forcing a system on kids all the way through identifying what might be that path of least resistance for a kid who knows that they can learn something if they really engage with a topic or something that they care about more and we can then find the ability for them to learn within that. I think it's great First of all, that he's putting that out there and saying to people, we all learn differently and you know it. So it's about time you became aware of that and made a difference in your schools about how kids can learn. That's, uh, that's an awakening that teachers who are satisfied with the work they've done over the last 10, 15, 20 years, and I've been teaching for 20 years, uh, have, have got to come to terms with. I think there's a couple of things that I really... I guess I regret saying, and a couple of things that I laugh when I think back that I said to kids, like I said, I used to tell kids, hey, you're never going to have a calculator with you everywhere you go. And yeah, they do. (laughs) You know, they have one everywhere they go. And I remember telling kids too, don't ask me any questions today. I've got this lesson so planned out that by the time I finish it front to back, you are totally going to understand this. And then I think about now where all I focus on is asking good questions and having kids ask good questions that guide their learning. In fact, one of the quotes that I that I hang my hat on at the beginning of Instant Relevance is this quote by David Cooper Ryder that says, we live in the worlds our questions create. Because when a question comes up, now we want to learn and I've got to learn everything about it to answer that question, whether it's how do I fix this broken thing to how do I get the job that I want to have? Uh, we live in those worlds. And I kind of regret thinking back on the things that I said that may have either done some damage or just not done the service they should have done to education. And I appreciate his point of view on that. Yeah, and it's interesting what you said. Um, You know, now that we know this, what do we do with it is the question. I mean, we as teachers who do know it, you know, where are we taking it with our students? Are we making the changes in our classes? Are we educating other educators about it? This actually brings me to another interesting thing I found this week was there was a, a, a recent survey with uh, ed- Excellence for Education that canvassed pretty much the entire country, uh, asked educators a lot of different questions about you know the teaching profession and uh, their thoughts about it. And the overwhelming response was that you know, the way that we assess students and the way that we measure growth is not appropriate. And it kind of fits in with what we're saying here is, you know, we know that every student learns differently. Uh, we know that education needs to be relevant for every single student, yet we still have these antiquated ways of measuring growth and measuring the way that students learn. And, you know, we treat these numbers and these this data like the bible you know we attach it to our evaluations we attach it to school accountability we attach it to all these things and you know brain science and you know what uh, our friend todd rose is saying is saying that everybody learns differently and everybody is 
not going to learn the same way and there is no standardized way that people learn so how can a standardized test possibly be a measure of learning once we know this wow that's it's funny because i'm a i'm a district administrator and my title right now uh, is director of student achievement and it's kind of funny because like i'm looking at how we measure achievement in kids. And I look at SATs and ACTs and park scores and PSATs and other scores and district tests and in New Jersey, student growth objectives and student growth percentiles and all these things that measure everybody the same way. But deep down in my heart, I truly believe it's different than that. I truly believe that a student can express themselves to me in a way that, that shows that they understand something. And I'm supposed to be able to say to them, good, I believe you, you've shown me, now move on, now go to the next thing. And that's good enough for them. And it's so hard to do that. It's so hard for teachers who learned a certain way and were taught how to teach a certain way to feel comfortable breaking that establishment with what they've done, especially in a world where they may have administrators who don't have the same beliefs that they have. So I guess one of the things that I've uh, come to learn now as an administrator is we've we've got to be brave in that and i mean if a harvard professor is standing out and say learning is different that's in my opinion a little kind of easy he's got the name of harvard behind him and people will believe it but me i'm just a guy who talks to teachers every now and then and shares on twitter with them and at the same time you know writes on my website but truly truly believes in this and has students and teachers in front of me so uh, I don't know if you follow basketball much in the NBA, but I think you probably know Coach Larry Brown. Yeah. Uh, he has a quote that I also believe, I think, is that you just reminded me of that uh, kind of re-inspires me in my district leadership position. And uh, that quote is, you have to do something in your life that is honorable and not cowardly if you are to live at peace with yourself. And to me, I think that's, the calling card for district administrators is be honorable, honor what our kids are doing. Their lives and their time are given to us. And then don't be a coward about what you believe in. Just go do what you know is right. And you'll be at peace with yourself when you do. That goes to me, that goes to teachers, it goes to principals. I think that's the call but that between uh, what Rose is saying and what you read in the second article is... Uh, there is change and it's out there and it's necessary. So step to the front lines and do you do what you got to do. No, you said it very well. I think that a lot of us as teachers know that the way that we assess students and some of the things that we put students through just aren't right. It goes counter to what we're asked to do every day in our classrooms, sometimes from, you know, the state or district administration. But you have to ultimately advocate for those students and those human beings in front of you. I love the quote. That was great. So that's just about what I have as far as sharing the piece that I came to the table with for today's podcast. How about you, Dennis? Did you come with a make it real moment or something to discuss in education? Well, uh, yeah, you kind of brought us to to the depths of our belief system, and I appreciate that. So I'm going to have to uh, uh, quickly float you back to the surface here. Uh, and here, 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 here's something that, that, that actually just stood out to me again because, I mean, you've probably heard about it. You probably know about it. But uh, I just saw today that, uh, that the California wildfires in Mendocino County 
are now the largest wildfire in the history of California. And they are about to cross 300,000 acres of fire destruction. And to me, I mean, there that that is just an immediate question because I know kids are talking about that type of thing. I know here teachers talking about it. It is alive in our country right now. People are go from, you know, what does 300,000 acres mean? And I love that question because from a math question, I can ask any grade, how big is that? And they can come up with a measurement system of it. It's a third of Rhode Island or it's this or it's right. this one of the Hawaiian islands or it's this many of my town or it's it's this many people, this many, they're really comparing these pieces. Like, wow, that's how big that really is. But also like, how can you solve it? What would you do to solve it? What is something you could do? So let me throw that out to you. Think about 300,000 acres of fire in California. And you hear your kids talking about that in your room when you walk in and you decide you want to take that momentum and make it part of your lesson, or maybe just an upcoming lesson the next day and you start to churn that idea. What do you do with that? I think there's a lot of different ways that you can take that because not only just the physical size, you know, you can compare that to the size of New Jersey or the size of Rhode Island um, being on fire. But you could talk about, you know, the human impact of that. You know, how many homes is that? Then you can compare that to the number of homes in your own town or your own neighborhood. You could talk about the number of people displaced. You can talk about um, coming up with you know, logistics of, you know, how to help those people, where to, where to place them and talk about the, you know, the emotional impact of that. There's just so many ways that you can go with that one question right there. I think that's, that's a great way to start a great conversation in the classroom, just because there's such a human impact to it that, you know, you read about something like that, you know, in a different country uh, or in a different state, even, you know, all the way across our own country. And you don't think, oh, that's, you know, that's not possible. You know, there's no wildfires on the East Coast or whatever, you know. And that's what students usually think. They don't make it personal. And uh, to really make it personal to them, connect it to their own lives, and ask, what would we do? Or how would that logistically be solved in my own neighborhood? Um, What would my life look like after that happened to me? Like, you know, if my house caught on fire in a wildfire, how would that affect me and my own family? I think that those are social emotional um, lessons as well. And I, I think it's a great question. Now, I agree that, that it can go in a lot of different routes here. And I think for the listeners of the Instant Relevance podcast, although uh, my Twitter name is Math Dennis NJ and Ray's is Blended Learning Math, <laughs> that uh, we got to realize we're not just talking about math here, although it's our frame of reference. So, yeah, from a mathematical point of view, how big is this? What is what is the financial impact? What is the economical impact? Those types of things. But now you think about this from a social studies class. When has something like this happened in the past? What was the result of it? How is something like this potentially something like the Dust Bowl? What are the effects on communities? And then what do politicians who now have certain resources in their hands do to affect this? If you were the politician in charge, if you were the president of the United States right now, what would you do from a grand scale to an ELA class where we want you to write to someone to affect change, write to the California governor and say, I have this idea, create a proposal. Now we're talking about proposal writing where you have an idea and you support it with evidence and you can do this to an economic, to a environmental science class. There are areas in the United States right now that are flooding. 
how can you get that water to California? How can you match those two things up so that you have an opportunity to take two potential disasters and create two stable situations from them? So many different ways that you can turn this into different courses, that singular question, that singular event, that thing that is happening that is potentially available to affecting all of us, that's what I think is a great opportunity. And in uh, Instant Relevance, the, um, the, the chapters are broken down into different categories. And in this one, uh, I think it falls into the idea of sudden changes to your surroundings, which is that for the S and instant. And think about this is a sudden change to their surroundings. Like the whole area in California has a brand new environmental change and it will forever impact them. How can we use that as an opportunity for our students to learn? Because like you said before, maybe a student doesn't really feel like learning about economics and finances. He's, he's bored by it. He, uh, he's always had all the money he's ever needed in his whole life and it doesn't matter to him. But at the same time, you talk about helping these people and then he gets deeply involved because he's, he's super excited about humanitarian efforts. Now he can learn about finances and helping these people and how to change that environment there. So that's where we open the door to allowing students to learn the way they learn best. Yeah, and I just think of the science implications too. You know, you talk about habitats and you talk about just what it does to the environment when there's a wildfire. Um, and then you can even go into the importance of controlled wildfires in science as well. I mean, this is really the opportunities here are endless. And, you know, you even touched on it with math, uh, the amount of water to put this out. I mean, you know, you ask a kid, you know, what do you do when there's a wildfire? They just probably say put water in it, you know. But the sheer amount of water that it would take to, to do that would be, you know, a great investigation as well. How do you transport that water? How much does it weigh? How many airplanes does it take to to transport that water? I mean, how many tankers? That sort of thing. So, yeah, it's a great question. Well, then even connect that to media literacy and what our kids are supposed to be able to do when they're investigating what's being told to them through the media. My daughter is 14, my oldest daughter, and she consumes most of her news and media from Instagram and other social media sites. And so if she sees a copy of Donald Trump's tweet that says there's not enough water and we should be putting water out there instead of dumping it into the Pacific Ocean, she might believe that, unknowing that the next an hour later, another piece of information came out that we have plenty of water. We are doing exactly what we need to do. The water shortage in California has nothing to do with uh, a, water a water shortage for taking out fires. We, we can totally take care of this and we have an active plan. That's what media literacy is about. So we talk about how our kids can engage in learning about what's being said at a particular moment. So if I came up and say, how can you move this water from flooding over in wherever to California? They can say, we don't have to. Like That's a great idea to consider, but it's not necessary. It's not even worth the efforts. That's problem solving and decision making. That's real life problem solving to say, I have an idea. Let's look at it. We don't need the idea. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. Well, that's the uh, kind of the gist of my make it real moment there. I was kind of curious to see what you would think about uh, and how you might throw that out there for some ideas for kids in class. And the interesting thing is that, I mean, you and I think this way. It's, we see opportunities around us pretty regularly as ways to bring these into our classroom. But there are a lot of teachers who are apprehensive about teaching like this. They might be worried that if it's off curriculum or off schedule that their administrator is going to get upset with them or that it might not go well. Their kids might not even like to talk about this. So what have you done in the past, either working with teachers or as a teacher, 
uh, that's kind of overcome some of that apprehension toward taking an opportunity like this? Well, I think the biggest apprehension that a lot of teachers have is the amount of time. So, you know, we just talked about a lot of different things just on, you know, one topic that are possible. But, you know, we have certain standards that we need to to hit and uh, we have only a certain amount of time in the school day. And I would say that, you know, the number one thing that the teachers I talk to and, you know, in the past before I started teaching in a more relevant way, um, the thing I worried about is time, not only about the time in class to actually do some of this great work that we just talked about, but also the time to plan it. I think that because teaching involves such a huge volume of work, you know, for instance, I know in Rhode Island, in, in my district, we're in school 180 days. That's a lot to plan for one teacher, especially when you're talking about multiple preps, you know, you're talking about multiple classes. I think that the biggest apprehension that teachers who I speak to have about any sort of change in, in their teaching style, especially when they've been doing it for so long, is if you make one change to the structure of your class, that is kind of a domino effect that ends up meaning that you have to create more materials for the next lesson, the next lesson, the next lesson, the next lesson. Then you have all these great lessons that have worked in the past, and what do you do with those? Uh, do you no longer do those great things that have worked in the past? And then there's you know, you have the fear of it not working. And then you really only have one chance sometimes to teach a standard. And you don't always have the time to go back and reteach it if, you know, teaching it via wildfires doesn't work. Or, you know, you didn't reach a certain number of students that you felt like you had reached in the past. So those are the apprehensions that I have seen through my decade of teaching and working with other teachers that I could see uh, with teaching this way. I don't think that there's a teacher out there that if you had this conversation with them, they would say it's not a great thing. I think that, you know, everybody would say, yeah, teaching more relevant is important and teaching more relevant is a great way to reach the students. But I think that I just go back to any sort of change to teachers looks like a cascading change. And sometimes the anxiety of that is too much to overcome when there's such a delicate balance of everything that you have to do as a teacher on a daily basis. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things uh, when I keynote or workshop somewhere, I get a lot of, uh, how often do you do this? You do this every day? You know, I'm like, well, is there a life-changing wildfire every day? You know, <laughs> so probably yeah. not. But so the answer to that one, to, to the apprehensive teacher, because about that cascading effect is, uh, again, yeah, I don't expect, nor do I like plan on doing something like this every day. My kids would fatigue of this. Right. I, that's the, if it was always something unexpected and new and relevant, that's the funny part of it. As much as I love it, it doesn't always work because I do have explicit things that I need to teach. But one of the things that is probably mentioned in Rose's piece and his keynote is that not only has, uh, are we realizing that students all learn differently, that really means that our teaching needs to change. We don't become those who own information and deposit it to children who then become the new owners of it and carry it on for generations and generations. As long as a computer exists somewhere that's connected to the internet, all the information is going to be available. So it's not the lesson that worked is the one I have to do because it gets the point across the most. 
the profession of teaching need, has to change. And those who have been teaching for a long time need to recognize that they need to adapt and become those who fully understand what the objectives of their lessons are and how to meet those standards. So if a previous lesson with a few examples and some practice met a standard and students were able to learn it successfully with that, but an opportunity to engage in something that's relevant to them, like a wildfire or like Fortnite or fidget spinners I talked about last year, these things that, you know, there really is an opportunity to grab these kids with something that I might hate, but they really love. And I, I, the content expert and the conceptual expert fully understand where they need to go to get there, then I can take them through the wildfire path to get there because I know the direction. I don't have to always take the same turns and I don't have to always take the same streets. There's an image in Instant Relevance about how learning is really Google Maps. You just have to know where you're going and where you are right now. And if you type those two things into Google Maps, it's going to give you three or four different options as to how to get there, depending on if you want to go straight or go the scenic route or skip tolls or walk or take public transportation. You have all these different options as how to get there. And you might get lost along the way, but if you just push the button again, it's going to reroute you and get you there. And that's where, as long as I know where I'm going and I know how to bring students along with me from where they are, the path that I take is individual and up to me. So I would tell a teacher, if you're apprehensive about this, that, you know, for, for crying out loud, don't do it every day. That's ridiculous. But if you <laughs> see a moment, be brave, grab it and then reflect on it and see how it went and see if you truly are the content and conceptual leader in your classroom that you need to be, or if you are a direct substitute for Khan Academy, which if you are, you don't want to be. I agree with you 100%. So the one thing that I really want to emphasize that you spoke about is taking the different paths to learning. Because one thing that I've started doing as um, I've started doing more self-paced learning in my classroom, not only making things more relevant to the students, but giving them the room to find their own path to learning uh, through either self-paced playlists or you know some blended learning methods. What I found is that the retention is so much better. I, for years as a math teacher, banged my head up against the wall saying, you know, I just taught you this yesterday. You can't remember, you know, I. I just would get so frustrated with, uh, you know, students not being able to remember what I just taught them. And I feel like over the years that I've taught, and it's only been 10 years, that the students have changed as well. I mean, I think that when I started 10 years ago, everybody was used to just learning from someone standing in front of the class and kind of regurgitating, and there was that expectation. I think now with uh, the way that students learn, and, um, you know, we can talk forever about you know, lack of attention or whatever it is or the reasons behind it. But the fact of the matter is, is that students are changing in the way that they expect to be taught is changing. And you can complain about that as much as you want, but it's a reality. And I agree with you 100% when you say, are you going to be the one who leads the learning in your class and be that guide? Or are you just going to complain about it and keep doing the th things the same way over and over again and hope that they continue to be successful? Right. That's, 
That's a huge point that we're not the only ones that have changed and the world is the only one that has changed. Our students have different expectations for us and for their learning environment. And they know they can tune us out and learn something somewhere else if they have to learn something. And that's why we want to make it so that they, they don't have to tune us out. We are, uh, we, we have to adapt, we have to grow. And that's, uh, that's kind of the parallel model of instant relevance here. The first is that uh, what is relevant to kids that we can grab a hold of and use to not only hook them in, but really teach them, but what's relevant to them in the way they learn and how can we become that? How can our classroom environment be the engaging type of environment that they want to be in? If you're giving them a choice between being in your room and being in front of their phone, they'll choose their phone. Why? Not because their phone is evil or their phone has videos on it or, or it's that much more fun than I am as a human being because I am a fun human being, trust me. So <laughs> that's, it's not that, it's that there's something about it. So we as teachers have to investigate what it is about what they prefer and try to bring those elements into our classroom so that we can become and our classroom can become a place that they prefer to be. And that's Dave Burgess's message in Teach Like a Pirate. It's you want to make your school and your classroom a place where kids are knocking down the door to get in. And, you know, if they didn't have to be in your classroom, would they still come? Yeah. So. If they don't, and if the answer is that they wouldn't, you know, and the other part of that is like, if you could teach your, like if, if you teaching your lesson doesn't even require your students to be there, like, look at the lesson you're about to teach. Like, could you do it without them there? And if the answer is yes, don't do it, like do something different. So those are the, the adaptations we need to make. And, uh, you're right. So for our listeners, I, I'm excited to share with you in the future, these ideas that we're not only tossing around between the two of us, but guests we're going to be bringing onto the show who are highlighting how they have found those connections, those relevant ways to, to bring not only topics and uh, ideas of interest, but the features of those topics and ideas of interest, the things that students really love and connect to uh, successfully into their classrooms to create relevant and engaging learning environments. And we hope to share some educators and leaders who are at the forefront of this with you as we continue this podcast. For our final segment of the Instant Relevance podcast, we want to be able to share with you either an analog or a digital resource that would be useful for teachers to be able to actually implement some of these uh, relevant experiences in their own classroom. So the first thing I have for you uh, listeners this week is the Performance Assessment Resource Bank. It's at performanceassessmentresourcebank.org. And it's just an organization that comes up with this database of performance assessments. So one thing we talked about earlier in this episode was, you know, innovating the way that we actually assess students and making sure that not only the way that we teach is relevant, but also if we're going to teach a certain way, we also want our assessments to match that. So one way to make assessments a little bit more relevant is to do performance-based assessments. And this Performance Assessment Resource Bank has K-12 performance tasks in math, English language arts, science, and history slash social studies. They're all standards-based. I know as a math teacher, I love giving performance-based assessments because it really drives home whether they know how to apply this to a real-life situation. And to have those resources there 
in front of me based on the standards rather than me having to spend time creating that on my own is priceless. So that's my contribution to this segment this week. So Dennis, uh, what did you have? Uh, thanks for that one. Actually, that's funny. I've been finding a lot of good performance assessments in uh, some other resources as well, but I don't, I didn't know about this one yet. So that's that's going to be, uh, I think that's going to be my evening is looking through that one. So I'm excited for it. But uh, to throw out a quick tech resource as well, just uh, a reminder that on Wednesday nights at 9:30 p.m. Eastern time, for 30 minutes. I host the Make It Real chat. That's hashtag Make It Real. If you're on Twitter, that's an excellent resource where teachers come from far and wide to share ideas about uh, relevance in education, in leadership. Sometimes it's about a topic that's important now. Sometimes it's something that just that uh, someone decided to share. I think the most recent one is being hosted by Sylvia Denko on re- making kindness real in your classroom. And that is not uh, a momentary passing idea. That's something that needs to last. So we get together on a weekly basis for 30 minutes for three questions and uh, I invite you to join the Make It Real chat as well as visit my website dennisshearan.com and check out the Make It Real archive there so you can go back and check some of the previous chats we've had and see if anything interests you there about different topics from content area to leadership to you know even having students come in and be a part of it and host that chat as well so that's what I have to share. Well, we would love to thank you for joining the Instant Relevance podcast with us, the first ever Instant Relevance podcast episode, uh, which will be available on most major podcast networks. If you're looking, if you go on iTunes or if you're on Android, uh, you'll be able to find it on your uh, most popular way to find other podcasts that you listen to. So look for us there. We will post regularly every time we get a podcast done on our Twitter handle for the podcast, which is, again, at Instant Rel. I'll post it on my Twitter handle, which is at MathDennisNJ, and Raymond will post it as well, which is at Blended underscore Math. And we are excited to share our thoughts and our voices with you and to hear from you. So when you listen, please share your comments, share your ideas, be open and active and engage with us on Twitter, and be willing to be brave and do something honorable and not cowardly to lead your students and your school into a future where relevance is important and learning is at the forefront of what you consider every single day for every single student. So until next time, thanks for joining the Instant Relevance podcast and we will see you soon.